Lord Jesus, this is the best news in the world. It doesn't get any better than this. It is the news we all need this morning. Those of us at home and the handful gathered here in this church. People scattered throughout the world who long to be worshiping together. Lord, they need this news. People who don't believe it need this news. Help me to tell it. Tell about the wonderful creation you are bringing about in Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask now that you would anoint this sermon and all of us who hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, well, just this past Good Friday, which seems like a long time ago now after all of these services, but uh, uh, just two days ago, I guess it was, right at the end of the Stations of the Cross, we were doing those outside, and again, I always wonder what our neighbors think when they see guys in robes or dresses, whatever you want to call them, uh, walking around, uh, doing things in the churchyard, praying and that kind of stuff, but as we had come to the last station of the cross, Kevin was there and Father David was there and I was there. A woman in a Subaru Outback uh, drove up to the curb right there in front of the church. And that's where that last station is. It's at the foot of the steps right out here in front of the church. And she rolled down the passenger side window. Uh, she, she, was, she was going so that she was on the other side. She rolled down that window and she started listening to what was going on. She was very intentional. I, I didn't know what she had to say or what she wanted. Uh, I didn't know if she was going to be mad at us. I didn't know what was going to happen. So uh, after we had concluded with the Stations of the Cross, I walked over to her car to say hello, and I could see through the window that she had tears streaming down her face. And she said, I just had to stop and listen. I said, I just had to stop and listen. I hope that was okay. I said, yes, it's okay. She said, I haven't been to church in four weeks. And she was sobbing by this time. And she said, I just needed to hear somebody talk about Jesus. Isn't that great? You know, I understand what this sister was longing for. She was groaning just as all of creation is for the new creation to finally fully come in, for Christ to restore all things through the power of His resurrection. Yes, we'd love to get to church again in the meantime, but uh, we, we are longing for this not to be the way... We, she knew that this pandemic is not the way things are supposed to be. We feel it. Uh, even people who aren't believers feel it. They, they see that there's something just not right about it. In fact, uh, I think it's the Barner Group has been doing <coughs> studies during this time, and, the, and they have found that right this minute, people are more open to spiritual conversations than in any other time in the recent past that they have been doing that research. And it's because people know deep in their spirit there's something inherently wrong about the situation we find ourselves in today. But the good news for us in the scriptures, and particularly here in John chapter 20, John's account of the resurrection, is that Jesus Christ, by his resurrection, has already begun a new creation. It has already started. We're longing for it to come to completion. In fact, that's what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, for we know that the whole 
creation has been groaning together. Listen to this. The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What, what are the pains of childbirth? Something new is emerging, literally. And not only the creation, listen, not only is the creation groaning, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we've tasted this new creation, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, the making of all things new, the resurrection of all of us. So that's what today's proclamation from the gospel is about, is about this new creation beginning. And make no mistake, Jesus' resurrection is about that new creation beginning. This is what everything in John's gospel, St. John's gospel, has been leading up to. He keeps coming back to this point that a new creation is starting. As a matter of fact, go with me all the way back to uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1 comes right before John chapter 2. Uh, right after the last chapter of Luke. So John chapter 1, and look, at, with, look with me at John 1 verses 1 through 5. This is, what, this is how John starts his gospel. In the beginning. That just makes the hairs rise up on the back of my neck. This is creation talk. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in, he was in the beginning with God. Listen to this. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you hear all that creation language right there at the beginning? That's, that's John's gospel. It begins with exactly the same words as the first book of the Bible, Genesis, begins with, in the beginning. Exact same phrase. So this gospel is intentionally looking towards, linking itself with the story of God's creation. Now listen to how, I love this. <coughs> now listen to how the resurrection account begins. Back in John chapter 20, verse 1, John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, every single one of the Gospels tells us that Mary Magdalene, that most loved and most forgiven woman, Mary Magdalene, who loved Jesus so much, she was the first one. She couldn't let go. I love it. She just couldn't let go of Jesus. Thanks be to God she didn't have to. Mary Magdalene is the first person at the tomb. Everybody agrees with that. She's the last one at the cross, the first one at the tomb. But what John tells us, and he's the only gospel writer to tell us, is that she comes when it is still dark. He's not just telling us something about the time of day. He's making a deeper theological point. It begins in the dark because all of the disciples are in the dark, still following the crucifixion. They're, they're in the darkness of devastated hopes. 
the darkness of death seeming victorious. And yet there is a yet another layer of darkness here. Darkness like the prime... Oh, this is so cool. Listen to how this works. The primordial darkness of the creation event before God created light. This is back in Genesis chapter 1 again. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. And the earth was without form and void. And then what does it say? And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The light shines in the darkness. And the, and the darkness is not overcome. You know, we feel darkness this morning looking at the state of our nation and of the world we live in. That There's a seemingly constant weight of darkness and dread about the future because of this terrible disease and how it is affecting our lives and not just in, in our health, but also how it's affecting our communities economically and not just the crass economic things, but also how it's affecting us socially. It's driving people apart. If there was any time in, in the history of this country where people needed to be together more, it was now, and yet now we're farther apart. It's all we hear about. And we see that darkness, that darkness as complete and defining. That's how Mary saw the darkness as she was approaching the tomb. Her darkness was complete and defining. There was no other explanation. Here is how pervasive it was for her. For her, there was no other explanation than that the Lord who loved her and rescued her from her former life was dead and that her dreams were now in ashes. And in her dark, dark world, the only explanation is that not only have Jesus' enemies killed him, they have stolen his body for who knows what further desecration. And what Mary could not even conceive of is that her darkness was the darkness that precedes the glory of God's creation. Beloved, could it be that the darkness that we are experiencing right now is not complete and it is not defining? Your personal darkness is not complete and not defining because the light has entered the world. The darkness has not overcome it. Jesus Christ is that light. And maybe your darkness is just the darkness before a new creation begins for you. That new creation only happens with Jesus Christ. I have, uh, have friends I love so much. Uh, and I've seen them, um, you know, little by little, it's usually how this happens, uh, walk away from their faith that usually happens by just not being attentive to the means of grace, prayer, um, gathering with other believers. Of course, nobody can do that anymore. Uh, but fasting, reading the scriptures, and then, and then surrounding yourself with people who, who at the least don't believe what you love and care about, and probably people who despise what you love and care about. And they catch it. They catch the darkness. 
and their lives begin to unravel. And at some point, they realize they're back in the darkness. Friend, your only way back into light is with Jesus. Just come back. He's still in the forgiving business. He's still in the restoring business. He hasn't stopped. But Mary saw her darkness as complete and defining, and yet it was the darkness that comes before a new creation. So Mary is distraught and devastated, and she runs to find Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved, the beloved disciple, and she tells them this horrible news. Listen to what she, the conclusion she has jumped to. Are you like this? Do you make these kind of assumptions? I mean, do you, when, when something, when you don't have all the information, is the worst case scenario your first place to go? Raise your hand. <laughs> That's it. In the absence of information, we create our own, and it's usually bad. They have taken the Lord. They, they just do all kinds of stuff. I, you know, they are bad people. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know, we do not know where they have laid him. She is so wrong. So Peter and the other disciple raced to the tomb. Peter hadn't been uh, observing his Lenten fast. He's a little overweight, so he didn't get there first. The other guy's a little younger, but they found the empty tomb. And you know what? That empty tomb, listen, that empty tomb did not change Peter and the beloved disciple. This is the thing, it always kind of got to me. It's like, oh, well, you know, the tomb is empty. Like, that is some conclusive evidence right there. Y'all, there's a lot of empty graves, just, just scads of empty graves for whatever reason. And, and it certainly wasn't the clincher for Peter and the beloved disciple. They didn't say, wow, the tomb is empty. You know what they said? They said, hey, the tomb is empty. <laughs> They didn't see angels. They didn't see Jesus. It says, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw the, and he believed, as yet, uh, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must be raised from the dead. He must rise from the dead. So the passage says that the beloved disciple believed, but we don't know what he believed. Evidently, he just said, yeah, Mary's right. That's an empty tomb. We know for sure that they didn't go shouting, Alleluia, the Lord is risen, He's risen indeed. No, they just seemed to go away scratching their heads saying, I wonder what happened. But after Peter and his racing partner leave the tomb in confusion, something wonderful happens to Mary who just can't let go of Jesus. She's still there. It says, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Good news has happened and she hasn't even seen it yet. Still crying. Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Here is another layer of John's story of Jesus' resurrection as God's new creation beginning. 
Where is, and this is only in John's Gospel, where is the tomb located? In a garden. Where did the human story begin? In a garden. Who does Mary mistake Jesus for? The gardener. But beloved, she didn't make a mistake. Jesus is the gardener. He is the gardener. He's the one who planted the first garden in the beginning of creation. He's also the last Adam. And as the first Adam tended the garden in the beginning of creation, the last Adam is making this garden outside of Jerusalem the new Eden of the new creation. I love the image one blogger beautifully offered. This, this guy, I, uh, if you want to know his name and where to get this article he wrote, it's almost po it is poetic. Uh, I'm happy to send it to you. Just contact me. But he writes, he says, Mary mistakes him, Mary mistakes him for the gardener, probably because when she encounters him, he has his hands in the soil. as he so often does, caring for and healing the creation. Just see him stooped over, scooping up the soil of that garden, saying, I make this new. I make this new. I make this new. The Holy Spirit's been shouting this connection throughout John's gospel. He shows us that Jesus is the last Adam. In fact, that's it, I get that word, that phrase, because that's exactly what St. Paul calls him in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. He is the man. In fact, when Pilate shows the beaten and bloody to Jesus to the crowd in John's gospel, and the crowd screams for the crucifixion, Pilate says this, Ichi homo, behold the man, or in Greek, behold the anthropos. In other words, this is the representative human being. This is the Adam. People are always saying stuff they didn't know how true it was in John's gospel. Behold the man. This is the Adam that will bring in the new creation. And when God formed the woman, a bride, for the first Adam, how did he do it? He opened Adam's side. And only in John is it recorded that the Roman soldier opened Jesus' side with a spear in John 19, verse 34. And out flowed water and blood, and God gave birth to his church the bride of Christ, in that sacrificial act. You have water in the body and the blood. I mean, sounds like all the dominical sacraments to me. And when Jesus meets Mary in the garden, what does he call her at first? How does he address her? He's been called the man. He addresses Mary as woman. 
She is the woman, this most forgiven, this most faithful disciple that will not let go of Jesus, stands for the new Eve in the garden. And right before the fallen Adam and his wife are expelled from the Garden of Eden, what does Adam do? Right before they're expelled, Adam names his wife. He names her Eve. And what does Jesus do after he addresses this faithful disciple as woman? He names her. He gives her her name. Jesus speaks her name, and the light of creation floods into Mary's darkness. She, he, Jesus says, one word, Mary. And she is illuminated. Rabboni! The voice that spoke light and life into existence speaks Mary into a new creation where all of the heartbreak and trauma and groaning of the old creation is overtaken by a flood of joy. The new creation now attained has worked backwards and turned Mary's agony into a glory. And believe it or not, it gets even better. The first creation story ends with Adam, Adam and Eve being expelled from the garden, clothed in shame and regret, thrown out. The new creation story ends with this woman disciple being sent out of the garden to tell the good news she goes out as, she is sent, she is apostolos, one who is sent. Sent out of the garden to tell the good news that Jesus is alive and everything has changed. She runs all the way back to where those frightened and confused men are. She bursts through the door, I have seen the Lord! new. That has never happened before. Nobody's ever done that. Come back, defeating death, glorified, resurrected like that. Oh, there have been people who have had the paddles put on them and shot and awake. They were only, as the uh, documentary The Princess Bride says, mostly dead. No, Jesus has come back from real death. Now here is the big deal, and this is the takeaway for that sweet sister who was in the Subaru out front of the church, weeping, groaning for the new creation. Brothers and sisters, Easter is a lot of things, but it is not a metaphor. It is not a metaphor for a new beginning. It's not a metaphor for a new creation. You know, every year... At this time, as surely as pollen season returns to the south, journalists begin their annual migration to find unbelieving, secular, biblical scholars 
who will tell them that the resurrection didn't really happen. It's merely a metaphor for hope, a metaphor for a new beginning, blah, 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 blah. It's the only religion in the world that gets that kind of treatment annually, by the way. The only reason for that is because it's obviously true. Their reflex to have an unbeliever tell them that the resurrection is just a symbol, that it's not real, seems to me as, as like it is a desperate attempt to keep Jesus dead. But it just isn't working because the resurrection is not a metaphor. And thank God it is not a metaphor because a metaphor can't save us. What's a metaphor? to keep cows in, obviously. Ooh. And that's when the sermon was ruined by a bad pun. John Updike, famous author, believer, he wrote a poem, Seven Stanzas of Easter, and in that poem he says, make no mistake, make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules renit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. And then he says, let us not mock God with metaphor. Let us not mock God with metaphor. Analogy, sidestepping transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages, let us walk through the door. Brothers and sisters, I say, I say things I shouldn't say sometimes, and sometimes I don't mean to, but right now I'm going to mean to say it. Yes, I'm going to paraphrase Flannery O'Connor. If Easter is a metaphor, to hell with it. Listen, people are dying of COVID-19. Economies are crumbling. People are losing their jobs. Governments are floundering. Families are overwhelmed by uncertainty. Friends have been pulled apart. Churches are empty. We don't need a metaphor. Keep your metaphor. I need a living Savior. I need a risen Lord. Thank God he is alive. Thank God he's alive. You know, it's interesting. Here's how the real Jesus changes your life, even when things are bad. You realize that, and again, it's in John's Gospel, and we'll read it next week. I hope I'm not taking Father David's sermon away from him. But all of the male disciples are hidden. They're locked, in the, they're locked away in the upper room behind closed doors for fear of the Jews, it says, for fear they're going to get arrested and killed. And then Jesus shows up among them. He's alive. They're transformed by this experience. We know later they're filled with the Spirit. But you know what happens to all those disciples that were afraid that they were going to die and get arrested and they're locked up in the room. They go and scatter through the four winds of the world, and they all get arrested, locked up, and killed, or boiled in oil in John's case. So the thing that they worried about actually happened to them, and yet it didn't matter. It was a victory in the end. 
That's how powerful this new creation is. Is because when it takes a hold of you, you can see, yeah, that can happen, but you know what? God wins. God wins. If only for this life we have hope, then we are to be pitied above all men. If there is no real resurrection, there's no hope. That's why we have certain hope in the midst of this worldwide plague because Jesus is truly risen. And because He is truly risen, a new creation has begun and those disciples and these disciples and you disciples who are watching participate in that right now when we are like Mary and we just won't let go of Jesus. Even as we groan to see it come in its fullness when the gardener returns, when the gardener returns and brings paradise with him. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.